wonderful. Let me fix my thing here. All right, everyone. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to be in God's house with you today. And uh, as you can tell, we brought our granddaughter, Violetta, today, 16 months old. So uh, <laughs> this is her first experience in church, I think. This is, isn't it, love? This is, yeah, it's first, first one in love, yes. <laughs> All right. Okay, everyone. So before we begin, uh, I want to remember uh, we had a, a passing this, this, this week. Uh, uh, Judy, which was the daughter of, uh, is the daughter of um, Sharon Barry Bonham, Mary's granddaughter, Terry's uh, niece, Judy. She, uh, she went to be with the Lord this week. And so we want to pray for the family uh, in mourning, shall we? Let's bow and pray. Father God, uh, Lord, we just come to you right now and pray your Holy Spirit, Father, just comfort uh, Sharon and uh, the family, Lord. Just, just, just uh, let your Holy Spirit surround uh, Sharon and Mary and Terry and, and all of the family, Krista and everyone, Lord. Just let your Holy Spirit comfort and strengthen and let them be a support to one another and just uh, find their uh, hope in you, Lord, and hope in Jesus. And thank you that she made a confession of faith, Lord, in her earlier in her life, Lord. And, and we just um, you know, pray that you be with them, Father. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen, everyone. So, right now, we're going to continue our uh, series uh, in the Gospel of John. You might want to get ready, John 14. And I think this is really a God, we, my wife and I call it these God things, because what I'm preaching on today has to, has to do about going to heaven. So, this is the Lord... You know, God knows all things, and God knows, what can I say? So let's go ahead, uh, before we get into that, before, oh, here it is, <laughs> before we get my notes, before we get into that, I want to mention that uh, you're probably aware of the debate going on in our country and in the, law, in the halls of Congress about gun control, uh, this last month especially. There has been, uh, on the news report, several mass shootings. And uh, so the debate is really about how to curb and control gun violence. And so the question is, where did it all begin? You know, where did guns begin? Well, gunpowder and guns themselves actually began in China after 1100 A.D., how do we know this? Because the explorer Marco Polo, who traveled to China, he lived in the 1200s, he was the first European to travel to China, uh, made the, these discoveries. He made a lot of amazing discoveries uh, in China. He actually became part of the, uh, the court of the emperor, the, who was at that time the most powerful person on the planet. And his name was Kublai Khan. And Kublai Khan had, uh, Marco Polo wrote about all these amazing discoveries. He, he, he wrote about Kublai Khan's, uh, 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 his empire and his, um, his palace. 
His palace was so huge that it dwarfed any cathedral or castle in Europe. Its, its banquet room itself seated 6,000 6, diners, each one with a plate of gold, eating off of a plate of gold. He marveled at the explosive power, as I mentioned, of gunpowder. And he wrote about all these things in his book called The Travels of Marco Polo. All the magnificent discoveries he made that were proven, but the only pro proven through the course of history, but the only problem is when he went back to Europe to tell everyone, no one believed him. No one in Europe had ever traveled to China. To them, it was all mythical. It wasn't true. These were his personal experiences. These were his testimonies, the, his authentic testimony of truth. And in just a moment, we're going to look at the Scripture. And the text we're going to see is Jesus' authentic testimony of truth about another magnificent place called heaven. Heaven, where Jesus came from. Heaven, where Jesus was going back to. So if you're ready now, we're going to look at John chapter 14. John 14, verses 1 to 14. And if you're able and willing, I think we'll have it up on the screen as well. We'll read John 14, 1 to 14. And it says this. Jesus speaking. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you, to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going? Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, that we will, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe me on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
You may ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. Amen. You may be seated. May God's word be blessed. Amen. This was the night. This was the night of the Last Supper. This was the night Jesus shared with his disciples the Passover meal. As we saw last week, it's a continuation, really, of what we saw last week when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And he used now the bread and the wine of the Passover meal to represent his body and to represent his blood. This was the night that Jesus would be betrayed. Hi, Paula. Good to see you here. Jesus would be betrayed. And uh, Judas was dismissed to betray the Savior. Judas, instead of trusting in Jesus, he turned on Jesus. Instead of accepting Jesus, he denied Jesus. Instead of receiving the truth of Christ, he rejected the truth of the Savior. He rejected the Savior who came to save all who would trust him, all who would trust in his truth. So what are we to do? What does the Bible tell you and I to do? We are to trust in the truth of our Savior. Trust in the truth of our Savior. Rely on his truth. Live in his truth. Love his truth. If the words Jesus is speaking are authentic, if they're real, they're the most important words in the world because they talk, they talk about eternity and where we will spend it. If the words Jesus is speaking are authentic and true, they'll, be, they'll stand the test of personal experience and they'll be proven through the course of history. Jesus, giving his truth, Trust in his truth. We're going to look at three truths of the Savior this morning. Three truths from these scriptures that we're to trust in. All right? So let's begin. Truth number one. We're to trust in his promises. Trust in his promises. Let's take a look. Verse one. Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The word troubled there means to be agitated, it means to be distressed, it means to be stirred up, and it means to be anxious. Why would the disciples be troubled? Well, number one, Jesus had just told them that they were, he was going to be betrayed. Number two, he just told them in the previous chapter he was going to a place where they could not come. And Jesus knew that their world was about to collapse into chaos because in less than 24 hours, he would be dead. They would be shattered. They would be bewildered. They would be confused. That's why Jesus gave them the command, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. But how? How can you not let your heart be troubled? How can you not, when you are facing loss, the threat of a loss, when you are facing the threat of a your life being disrupted, when you are facing the, the loss of control, how? Well, Jesus gives the answer. 
in verse 1. He says, believe in God. Another translation said this this way. Trust in God. Trust in God. Trust also in me. You see, trust is the antidote for anxiety. David, trust is a remedy for fear. David said this this way, Psalms chapter, Psalms chapter 56, verses 3 and 4. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I am not afraid. You see, trust is the answer to anxiety. Isaiah 26, 3, the, 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 the writer speaking to God says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trusting God. Trusting God. There was a airplane, a, a, a young airplane pilot by the name of Susan Smart, who wrote, wrote about an experience she had as a young pilot, her third solo flight. Her instructor had told her to practice Recovering from stalls, you know, when the engine stalls, <laughs> can you imagine? So she practiced. The problem is she stalled a little bit too long. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Her Cessna 150, her Cessna 150 started spinning wing, wing over wing as she was hurtling toward the earth. And then she remembered the words of her instructor. Her instructor said, if you ever get into a spin in a Cessna 150, take your hands off of the control because they are built to pull you out of a spin on its own. She remembered those words, but she was fighting with the controls with all of her strength. She wouldn't let go. She couldn't release her hands. She shouted, she shouted to herself, let go, let go. And then with every ounce of willpower, she prayed to God. She finally lifted. She was clutching her hands, clutching her hands. She lifted her hands and kept them up. And the airplane, the aircraft straightened out. And, the, and it returned to a level flight. You and I, to experience the peace of God, need to learn to take our hands off of the controls. Amen. Take our hands off the controls. Let go and do what? Let, there you go. Let God. Give it to God. Trust in God. What did Jesus say? Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. That's the answer. That's the answer. The answer to our anxiety. And Jesus then gives these other comforting words in verse 2 to the disciples that were going to be uh, facing confusion and, and chaos in their life. As in the next 24 hours, he said this in verse 2. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms. The King James says mansions, and that's a legitimate translation. Jesus said, if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Jesus was giving them these company words. This is the place uh, from which he gives his true and authentic testimony. You know, the Gospel of John says over and over again, Jesus claiming to come from heaven. That Jesus' home was from heaven. From all eternity, Jesus' home was in heaven. And now, he's preparing a place in heaven for those who believe. For those who will believe in him. Hmm. What will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? Well, verse 3 
tells us a couple of things that we can know for sure. One thing is this. It's a place. He says, I'm preparing a place for you. Number two, we know it's a place where Jesus will be with Jesus. He says, so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus, you know, get, get, having heaven. What is, you know, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details about heaven. You go to Revelations 21, 20 and 21, that's the most information uh, uh, there is. But there's not a lot of details about heaven. So what will it be like? Let's listen to the words of the Reverend Billy Graham. Billy Graham, in his book, uh, in his book, The Key to Personal Peace, uh, answers the question, what will heaven be like? And he says it this way. He says, heaven will be beautiful. It's a, it is a, a beautiful beyond description or imagination. Heaven could not help but be so because it's the Father's house. And he is the God of beauty. Look around, look at the world around us, he says. God made it. Wherever we look, we're surrounded by amazing beauty. Uh, and the same, the same hand that made the trees and the fields and the flowers, the seas and the hills and the clouds and sky, made a home for us called heaven. And he goes on to say this. He said, heaven will be happy. Think of a place where there's no sin, no sorrow, no quarrels, no misunderstanding, no hurt feelings, no pain, no sickness, no suffering, no night, no death. God's house will be a happy home because there's nothing in it to hinder happiness. What does the Bible say, Psalm 1611? In his presence is fullness of joy, and it's eternal. Heaven. Jesus was explaining to his disciples that he was a preparing a place for them in heaven. Now he says that, we're, that I'm going to come back for you, verse 3. I'm going to come back. He says it this way. If I go to a place to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me. That where I am, you may be also. Now this has two meanings. <laughs> this verse has two meanings. The first and main meaning is this. Jesus is coming back at the second coming of Christ. He is coming back on the day of judgment. He's coming back to, to gather those who are left on earth to be with him in heaven. Second meaning is this. Jesus comes back at the hour of our death. Jesus comes back to receive us. Listen to this. Stephen was the first Christian martyr, the first one to die for his faith. Acts chapter 7 tells us the account where they were throwing stones at him to kill him outside of the city walls. He was down on his knees, and he looked up to heaven, and what did he see? It says this, Acts chapter 7 and verse 56. It says this, it says, Look, he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then some of the last words he said before he passed on, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You see, Jesus was there. He comes back to receive us, to be with him. 
Jesus was giving these words of comfort for his disciples. He was giving these words to give them comfort. So the first, the first truth to trust as we're trusting the truth of the Savior is to trust in his promises. Number two, number two. Not only are we to trust in his promises, but we are to trust, we are to trust in his person. <coughs> Pardon me. To trust in his person. Let me get a little drink of water here. To trust in his person. Trust in who he is. Trust in his nature. You know, Jesus didn't just claim to know the truth. He claimed to what? Be the truth. Amen? Jesus, let's take a look. Verse 4 through 6 now. He says it this way. Talking to his disciples. Preparing them for his departure. To be with the Father. And beginning with verse 4, he says this. He says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, these are so important words here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus claims to be the way to the Father. He claims to be the way to God. Do you know what the believers were called before we were called Christians? Do you know what the Bible says they were called? They were called followers of the way. The apostle Paul, before he was become a Christian, the Bible calls him Saul, he went to persecute the Christians. And he went to go wherever he could find them. He was there, by the way, when Stephen died, given his approval. Now he goes to the high priest. Again, this is before he was a believer. And he asked for permission, letters, so that he could go to the city of Damascus and find any of these followers of the way. I want to pick it up at Acts chapter 9, verse 2. Acts chapter 9 and verse 2, Paul, it says this. It says, and he asked him, that's Paul talking to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way whether men or women, that he might take them and imprison them to Jerusalem. What was he looking for? Who was he looking for? Followers of the way. This, this term, the way, came right out of Jesus' mouth. This is a title that, that came from Jesus saying, I am the way. So his followers were called followers of the way. Jesus claims to be the way to God, Jesus, Jesus, the only way to God. You know, back in 2007, there was a Newsweek cover story, and I've mentioned this once before, <coughs> a debate, excuse me, debate between uh, 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 Rick Warren, a mega church pastor, Rick Warren. It's called, the, it's called the God debate, news cover story. Rick Warren against uh, Sam Harris, who was a famed atheist. And this whole issue came up about being Jesus being the only way. And so Jesus, now Rick Warren is, is, is addressing Sam Harris, the atheist now, and he says these words. He says, we both stand in a relationship of faith. You have faith that there is no God. In 1974, I spent the better part of a year living in Japan. 
And I studied all the world religions. All of the religions basically point toward truth. Buddha made his famous statement at the end of his life, I'm still searching for truth. Muhammad said, I am a prophet of the truth. The Vedas, that's talking about the Hindu scripture, say truth is elusive. It's like a butterfly. You've got to search it. Then Jesus Christ comes along and says, I am the truth. I am the truth. Jesus makes this claim. And all of a sudden, Warren says, all of a sudden, that forces a decision. Jesus says, I am the only way to God. I am the way to the Father. He's either lying or he's not. You see, the statement has been made. It's up to you and it's up to me what we're going to do with it, whether or not we're going to believe it. Is he lying or is he telling the truth? Jesus claims to be the only way to God. He claims to be the way, and not only does he claim to be the way to God, but he claims to be the exact image of God. Let's pick it up at verse 7. Verse 7, he says this. If you really know me, you will know my Father. Jesus here talking to Thomas. From now on, you will know him and ha you have seen him. And then Philip jumps in. Lord. Show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us, Jesus answered. Do you not know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you so long, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You see, Jesus claims to be the exact representation of God. He is the revelation of what God is like. There is no true faith in the Father without a true faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because they are one. Jesus claims equality with God. This is why the Jewish leaders hated him. That's why they were so angry with him. Because he made it clear, John 10, 31, I and the Father are one. Now, listen. He's not talking about the, the, the being one. Being, they're not the same person. The doctrine of the Trinity says within the nature of the one God, are the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There was one God in three persons. Trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the <coughs> excuse me, radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being God. Jesus claims to be the exact image of God. He is God in flesh. Not only, so we're trusting in the person of God. We're trusting in his claim to be the way to God, his claim to be the image of God. So now we're trusting, we've said, in the promises of Christ, our Savior. We're trusting in the person of Christ, our Savior. And third and last, we're near to trust in his power. Verse 10. Verse 10 says this. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, do not, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing the work. Jesus 
the power at work in Jesus showed the Father at work in Jesus. Then verse 11, he says this. He says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works himself. What he say, what's he saying here? If you don't believe by what I'm, me by what I'm telling you, believe me by what I'm showing you. Believe the works. Uh, gee, the miracles of Christ were showing the power of God within him. Now, verse 12 comes a very surprising twist, a surprising verse, surprising words. Let's look. Jesus then says this, and he's talking about when he rises to be with the Father. He says this. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, will do the works I have been doing, and they will do what? Even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. What is he, what is he referring to? They will be doing greater things because Jesus will have been risen, and it will be Jesus doing the work through his believers. Jesus has been doing the work ever since he rose. From the dead. Doing the work how? Through the Holy Spirit. It wasn't until Jesus died and rose again that he and the Father would send the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 18, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. He's talking about coming to them in the Holy Spirit. He goes on in, chapter, in verse 23 of this chapter to talk about how he and the Father will make their home in the believer by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus' power would be working in believers at, and he'd be working in his church. That's why Jesus told Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus has been building his church and he's been doing it since day one. He's working by his power to build his church. It's Jesus. It's Jesus who said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is working in his church. He's working miracles through his church. Acts chapter 9 again. The Holy Spirit was encouraging the church. The church was being, it says, encouraged and strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And God was working through Peter. And Peter, who was the leader of the church at that time, he was the leader of the early church, he met a man named Aeneas. And Aeneas was a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. And Peter gives him a command. I want you to listen to these words now. Before he heals him, in Acts chapter 9, verse 34 and 35, Peter says this. He says, it says, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your mat, and then listen to what happened after that. Immediately, Aeneas got up, all those from Leda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Jesus Christ, Jesus is doing the work. And he's been doing it ever since he rose from the dead. What is the greater Jesus is speaking about here? What is the greater? They will be great, do it greater. Jesus is talking about not greater physical miracles. 
He's talking about a, a greater reach of the gospel. You see, because Jesus is no longer limited to his physical body. Once he rose from the dead, now he's working through his spiritual body, the what? The church. It's the power of Christ in the church. Trusting in his power. Trusting his power, working through the church. When we become a believer, we become, the Holy Spirit comes into us. The Bible says, you will, Acts 1-8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Not only do we have the power, his power at work in the church, but his power is at work through prayer. Let's look. Through prayer. Verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 and 14, Jesus says this. He says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. What a promise, huh? Jesus, promise of power. These verses are important for two reasons. First, it's a promise of power through prayer because Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Now, Jesus is not a genie in a bottle, right? Amen. He's not going to do whatever we ask. He says, if you ask it, what? In my name. Now, what is he talking about? He's not just talking about adding the words in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers, although that's not a bad thing to do. I do it myself. But he's talking about what we pray for, and who we are as we pray. To pray, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> in Jesus' name is to pray, uh, uh, to pray in his purpose, to pray uh, in his work on earth, and to pray, uh, to pray his will, to pray his will. We should always have a heart of submission when we're praying to God. Always have the heart of submission, asking that his will be accomplished and that the name of Jesus Christ be glorified. When, uh, we be glorified when we pray to him. When we, when we pray to him, we can trust him to do it. He's got the power to do it. Now, the second reason these verses are so important, speaking about prayer, is they are talking about who we are praying to. Verse 4, Jesus, 14, Jesus says this. This is the only place in the Bible where it explicitly tells us to pray to Jesus. You can pray to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God. Jesus said, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, because Jesus is God's Son, because he is the living Savior, we can pray to him. We can pray to Jesus. It's Jesus who said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's Jesus who said, he will answer our prayers to him. Now, we've got to be careful not to follow the ways of the world when it comes to prayer. When it comes to praying, I want you to listen to this closely now. Pray to God who is spirit. What am I talking about? I'm talking about those who would pray to loved ones 
uh, those who would attempt to communicate with the dead to their spirit. One statistic says 28% of Americans think that people can communicate with or mentally talk to the dead. It's not, it's not, it's not the case. That's not the case, and I'm going to show you why in just a moment. We've got to be very careful about this. We should not be trying to communicate with the dead. If your loved one died and is a believer, and if you are a believer, you know you're going to see them again. Amen? But we're not to try to communicate as if they would communicate back to us. David, Psalm, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, David. Did you catch that? 2 Samuel 12, 23, David. He had a little boy. He was sick. Very sick, deathly sick, and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. He didn't know if God was going to save him, but he didn't. The little boy died. And David said in that verse that I just mentioned, I will go to him, but he will not come back to me. Our loved ones do not come back. That's Jesus' job. Jesus is the one who said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We should not be talking Trying to communicate to those who have deceased. You know, there are deceiving spirits in the world who love to disguise themselves as your departed loved one. Did you know that? Just like Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, the King James Version calls them familiar spirits. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 19. We should, we should be very, very careful about this. Pray only to God, only to the triune God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 14. Our fellowship is with the Holy Spirit. Trust in the truth of the Savior. Trust in His power at work in His church and His work in our prayers. Amen. Trust. Trust in the truth of the Savior. Trust in His promises. Don't let your heart be troubled. Amen. Trust in Him. Take your hands off the controls and let Him level out your flight. Trust in His person. He is God's only Son and the only way to the Father. He's God in flesh and the perfect representation of the nature of the Father, and then third, trust in His power. His power at work in believers and in His church through the Holy Spirit. And through prayer. And through prayer to who? To the true God and Him alone. Marco Polo came back from his journeys. He came back to his home in Venice. And he brought back with him Gold and silk and spices. These were evidences of his exploration in China. Although the people dismissed his stories as untrue, these were still evidences of the truth that he claimed. Jesus. Jesus gives us evidences of his truth. Of his truth, the truth of where, from where he came, the truth of who he is, and the truth of what he does in the life of believers. Will you trust his truth? 
Will you follow the way of truth? Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, Father, we thank you that you instruct us, Lord, through your word, and you encourage us through your spirit, Lord. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that you are the way, and you are the truth, and you are the life. Help us, Jesus, Lord, everyone here, Lord, self-included, just to, to follow you in, in everything, Lord Jesus, and to, uh, to pray to you and to know that you're with us. Please continue to guide us. Guide our church, Calvary Baptist Church, Lord Jesus. Guide our church. You said, I will build my church. Lord, we're trusting to you and looking to you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.